Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. I'm your co-host for today, fantasy analyst here at Pro Football Network, Tommy Garrett. You can find myself over on Twitter at Tommy Garrett PFN. And joining me today, as always, is the co-host of this show, Jason Katz, 13, over on Twitter. Katz, how we doing, my man? It's been a little bit. It has been. It's been a bit since we recorded. Uh, since then, I am currently sweltering in 97-degree heat. Uh, Isn't everyone that- <laughs> going through a heat wave right now? Like, it sounds like everyone is dealing with this across the world. Oh, I mean, the thing that determines heat is kind of the sun, so oh. you would think that, uh, I guess that impacts the entire planet, uh, but it, that's, it seems to be what's going on. I've got my AC on in the background. I hope no one can hear oh, it. This is going to be can, National Geographic. If you can, I'm sorry, but I mean, it is just it is just too hot here. I, 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 I am mean, not going to tell anyone they need to suffer just so they can hear my voice more clearly. Absolutely not. Leave that fan on. Pull it closer if you need to, because it's we're the dog days of summer. Like, here's my thing. I would rather be cold than hot because I can always put on more clothes than I can take off and still be allowed in public. So give me give me those colder, chilly days all day long over the summer. Honestly, I think the summer is a little bit overrated. Like, give me the fall. Fall all year round. I got football back. I got college football. We got baseball going. Like, I can go camping. Give me fall all day long. But you guys aren't here to care about my trends and my love affair for certain times of year. We're going to be talking about tight ends today. Everyone's favorite positional group because tight ends are America's favorite players. Just ask George Kittle himself. He'll tell you that. Um, But what we're going to do today, we're going to kind of finish up and wrap up our individual rankings of these different position groups. We'll go through numbers 1 through 12 today because, honestly, after that, it's a bit of a mess. So 1 through 12, we'll stick through there. You're going to find a lot of similarities between between Katz and myself's rankings on here. Not a lot is different, and I don't think you're going to see many differences and discrepancies for most people. You might see a couple differentiations in terms like, five or seven things like that but the names you're going to see amongst the top 10 top 12 generally are going to be the same and i know for us it was pretty much chalk all the way through the first four picks in fact it was i think actually yeah the first four picks for us are all the same starting off at the tight end one kind of no surprise here guy's been the tight end one for almost every single year up until last season Travis Kelsey, tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs, finished as the number two tight end overall in fantasy football as a slacker last year, clearly. I'm joking. Because uh, after that, he had only been nothing but the tight end one going all the way back to 2016. Had a great year. 134 targets, 94 receptions, 1,200, uh, sorry, a little over 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. We know how good Travis Kelsey is. He now doesn't have Tyreek Hill on the field around with him. We'll see if that's a good thing or a bad thing because teams always had to pick and choose which chess piece do I want to try to eliminate? At the end of the day, the combination between Kelsey and Mahomes is just too good. I don't think it necessarily matters how many guys you want to put on Travis Kelsey. He's going to be just fine. Um, I'm overall, I'm not worried. I have him as my number one. I believe you, Cats, you are exact same course. Um, do you have any any other thoughts on Travis Kelsey outside of just draft the dude? Yeah, Travis Kelsey has been the best tight end in fantasy football for the better part of the last half decade. And I know he's 33 years old, and there is some fear of a possible cliff coming soon. But, I mean, we have seen no signs of a decline. And I, mean, I know the argument is you'd rather be out earlier than late, but the reality is we need to see something before I'm going to be out. Uh, we've seen nothing. I'm in. I mean, technically, we have seen a little bit of a decline. If we just look at statistically, like 70.3 yards per game were great, but they were his lowest since 2017. 
His yards per catch at 12.2 were his low since 2015, and his yards per target at 8.4 were a career low. His also his yards per route run at 1.84 were his low since 2015. However, like this dude operates on a different level of everyone else. And I think that's the biggest point. Like we're not seeing any major markers of a regression, right? Like he had so much more room to go to come down to come to come down to the field. Kelsey's still fantastic. Absolutely. And that brings us to our number two tight end where we both agree. It is Mark Andrews of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I must admit I missed last year. I faded Mark Andrews, did not think that the passing volume would be there. Turns out the Ravens' backfield completely just collapsed behind three yeah. injuries to their top three running backs. And uh, the defense just decimated by injuries. So Ravens playing from behind. Lamar Jackson, career highs in pass attempts per game. And that led to Andrews finishing as the overall tight end one, unseating Travis Kelsey. Uh, Andrews has always been efficient. He only mm-hmm. played on 76% of the snaps last year, but he but he still ran the second most routes at the position, and he was targeted on a whopping 30% of his routes. Hollywood Brown is gone. This is a two-man show with Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman. So even if Lamar Jackson um, goes back to that run-heavy scheme that we expect him to, um, you know, we're both high on Lamar Jackson, I think he's going to run a lot, there still should be plenty of passing volume for both Andrews and Bateman because it's a very consolidated target share. Got anything to add? I mean, my thing is, like, we're not going to go back to this hyper-passing game that we saw last year. It was a product of the roster that they had. The one question with Mark Andrews, it's always going to be, can the touchdown production stabilize itself year after year? Because if we go back to 2019, Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown combined averages 11.6 targets per game. In 2020, it was 12.5. Last year, Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown averaged 18.1 targets per game. That's a substantial jump. So if we're thinking that Rashad Bateman's going to come and take Marquise Brown's role, hopefully we get more towards that 18 point. That's obviously going to be a little high, but as long as it's not in that 11-6 to 12-5 range, both guys are going to still have great seasons. We'll see what the ceiling is, but they're both always going to be, they need the touchdowns because no matter who the number one is on this roster, the volume is not there compared to other guys in their same tiers at their respective positions. Look at Hollywood, look at, um, Rashad Bateman against someone like a Darnell Mooney, someone kind of going in that exact same range. Mooney is going to have the far higher target percentage, most likely, or I should say just targets overall in volume. Mooney's going to have over 130. We're hoping Bateman can even get to 120. When you look at Mark Andrews, we're hoping he can get to the 115, 120 range where someone like Travis Kelsey, he's going to be in the 130 plus, as is the guy who comes in at number three for us, Kyle Pitts, tight end slash unicorn slash the greatest person ever to strap on a set of shoulder pads down there in Atlanta. He had an incredible rookie season, like which kills me because some people want to say it was disappointing. I don't see how when you catch 68 passes for over a thousand yards, maybe the touchdown was the issue. He was still the tight end five. And like to put this in perspective, like he is one of just two rookie tight ends to clear 800 receiving yards since 2000. The other one was Jeremy Shockey with almost 900 back in 2002. Like to me, Kyle Pitts is as locked in as it gets for you. If you just want pure volume, we know Marcus Mariota is going to be a bit of a step down from Matt Ryan. However, Marcus Mariota was still able to target his, to utilize his tight ends going back to when he was in Tennessee. We kind of saw the same thing happen when he took over the couple spot starts in Las Vegas. I like, Kyle Pitts situation. I don't like the Atlanta Falcons as a team. They're going to struggle massively, 
but all the volume on this team is going to go through two guys. It's going to go through Drake London and Kyle Pitts. So for therefore, I'm I'm absolutely all in on Kyle Pitts. Comes in as the number three for us, and I feel like most people in their tight end ranks for 2022. Yeah, I'm in on Pitts ahead of our number four guy, which is Darren Waller. Uh, coming off a disappointing year last year, at first my, my thoughts on him were okay. I'm I'm a little down on him, uh, but then I thought about it more, and I'm really coming around on Darren Waller. The, the reality is. Uh, yeah, his ceiling is admittedly lower with Devontae Adams in town, but his price is also lower. Last year, he had to draft him at around the 2-3 turn. This year, you can probably get him in the fourth round, sometimes even the fifth round. Um, while Adams is definitely bad for Waller's volume, should be good for his efficiency. Uh, and one of the issues with Waller is that he just didn't score touchdowns last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at his last three years since his 2019 breakout, three touchdowns in 2019, nine in 2020 when he finished as the tight end two, and then two in 2021. Uh, this outliers across the board. He scored too many in 2020 and not enough in 2021 and 2019. <laughs> the answer, as always, should be somewhere in the middle. A wall dealt with injuries last year. And the reality is this offense, it could just be sneaky good. So I, I'm kind of in on Waller at the right, right price. Yeah. For me, I'm me and you have both been fairly high on Derek Carr. And one of the reasons because all the different weapons, Derek Waller being one of them. I think the question for me going into this season, it's not so much the impact Devonta Adams has on Darren Waller, but who impacts the other more, Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro? Because one of those two guys are going to have a hard time seeing the same target share that they're accustomed to. Because Darren Waller had seen 117 targets in 2019, then 145 um, in 2020. So I, I wonder, is anyone going to miss out on the same kind of threshold they had last year? It's not going to be Devonta Adams. We know that. But can they have three 100 target players with Adams, Waller, and Renfro? Or is but someone between... Waller and Renfro is one of them set to have a little bit of a down year. I, I think that I think that Derek Carr can actually maintain. I mean, not all of them to the same level, but even yeah. if Renfro takes a little bit of a hit, again, no one's drafting Renfro like the wide receiver like two that he was last year. He's going no, as like a wide receiver take him three, PPR four. and like as your wide receiver five something like that right. as so a bench stasher in your flex play. We're baking in a decreased target share for Waller for, for, for Renfro. Sorry, it doesn't have to be that much. Derek Carr threw the ball six hundred twenty six times last year, forty eight hundred yards, a career high. In an offense where his wide receiver one was Hunter Renfro, and he still threw it that much in games. And, and Darren Waller also he, he missed five or six games last year. Uh, I think he missed yeah, exactly. Yeah, that IT band injury. Yep, he missed he missed six games last year. Uh, so if Derek Carr's throwing it that much, and now he gets Devontae Adams, I don't see uh, Josh McDaniels reigning in this offense and mm-hmm. deciding that okay, we're going to throw even less now that we have a better passing attack. I think he's going to work with what he's got, and Derek Carr's capable of supporting all three of these guys. So I'm, I'm kind of more bullish on Waller than I was about a month and a half ago. Yeah. I, I think he's always been being discounted because of the potential lack of red zone targets going towards Devonta Adams. But I think just the overall target share is something at least worth considering. I, although I think it's been that that risk has been mitigated a little bit due to the trade of Brian Edwards, as much as we don't want to admit like Brian Edwards, like, yeah, he's probably not the great football player, but at the same time, he was still going to be volume. And he was probably going to be that number two out there on the, on the outside on the perimeter. This now is very much a condensed three-person situation with a running back who doesn't bring a ton of like PPR upside. So I think that's I think it makes a ton of sense. Where I think Darren Waller is still a great value. He does come in at number four for us. Coming in at number five is the People's Tight End, the creator of National Tight End Day, George Kittle. Love George Kittle. Last year, okay season. I think it's that's safe to say. 
wasn't one of his best ones as of yet. Um, but still, 94 targets, 71 receptions, over 900 yards and six touchdowns. I, he's just good at football. And he's just one of the people I want mic'd up every single game. I don't care what he says. I want a direct feed to George Kittle's thoughts every single game. I think the question this year is going to be, because after the news that came out, the 49ers had um, given permission to Jimmy Garoppolo and his agents to actually request a trade. The question is going to be, how does this offense operate with Trey Lance? Because last year, although Kittle missed one of Lance's two starts and those other ones, um, uh, he only saw, what, four targets, four of Trey Lance's 71 targets uh, in the games he was involved in. So George Kittle was not involved quite as much as we had seen with someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo, where Lance can want to take off and scramble a little bit more. He's still going to be massively involved in this team. But I think there's a little bit of a question because we have not seen how this offense dynamic is going to work with Trey Lance under center. What are your thoughts on uh, George Kittle this year? I, I still believe that George Kittle is pound for pound the best tight end in the NFL. And it's I, I, best NFL tight end is George Kittle. Yeah, because it's, it's it's blocking what he brings in the rushing game. Exactly. That's so big for George Kittle. Like other tight ends, we need to make a um, you almost need to make like a bit of a okay, you have the guys that are the big slots and then you have your your inline blockers. Very rarely do you find guys who are sensational at both. Not only is George Kittle a great blocker, but you also have he's incredible after the catch. He's got the endless motor. So yeah, it's in terms of like the best tight end overall, I think you got to give it to George Kittle, even if it's not that way for fantasy. Unfortunately, I wish George Kittle was worse at blocking for fantasy because we don't want our tight ends blocking. We want them running routes. Kittle yep. ran just 24.7 routes per game last season. For comparison purposes, the guy we just talked about, Darren Waller, 31.6. And that's seven more opportunities to get a target. Um, the good news is, Kittle was targeted on 27% of his routes running. He had a 25% target share. Uh, well, that's great. Like you mentioned, the move to Trey Lance does kind of switch things up because this is an offense that already was run first. And now we have Trey Lance who's going to run the ball probably eight to 10 times per game. He's going to take away more possible targets from his receivers. That includes George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk. Can a low-volume passing offense support all three of those guys, or does everyone take a little bit of a hit? I think Kittle's target share may, may remain the same, but we're talking about 25% of an overall smaller pie, and that's why Kittle falls below Waller for me, and I think for you as well. Yeah, that's that's one of my concerns. I think target volume is always going to be a bit of a question mark when it comes to George Kittle versus everyone else above him. I think it, they all fit in the same kind of tier range, um, but I think George Kittle, I, I think that's the only question about him. Now, I know for me, I am a little bit higher on the guy who comes in number six for both of us. That's going to be Dalton Schultz, tight end from Dallas. I actually have Dalton Schultz as my tight end four ahead of Darren Waller and George Kittle. For me, it's the volume of what he is going to be in the Dallas Cowboys offense. He was the tight end three last year, had nine of his games where he finished as a tight end one or better, I should say, like inside the top 12. 104 targets, which is incredible volume, playing on 81% of the snaps. He was a true breakout, but really it was kind of just a continuation of what started in 2020 where he had 615. Last year, he followed that back up with 808 yards and eight touchdowns on nearly 80 receptions. To me, and it, I should even say just to me, like when you're looking for a tight end, you need two things if you want to be a breakout tight end. You either need 90 targets or... Double-digit touchdowns. Since twenty, since 2003, every single top five tight end in PPR scoring has had either 90 targets or double-digit touchdowns. That is a great piece of information. 
Yeah, if you want a top five one, you got to find one of those two. And that's where you can find your breakouts. If a guy hasn't had his targets, he hasn't had his touchdown yet, but he's getting the targets, there's a path there to where, yeah, opportunity is good, he can ascend. And we'll get to one guy later on here who's kind of everyone's favorite breakout tight end of this year. Dalton Schultz showed that last year with Amari Cooper now out of town. The Dallas Cowboys have a ton of quote-unquote vacated targets. Everyone's favorite buzz phrase around this time of year. But right now, he's going to probably be the number two target option on this team behind CeeDee Lamb, at least until Michael Gallup has returned from his knee injury happened last year. Jalen Tolbert will work on the perimeter, but he's not in the same type of the zone in the field to where he's going to impact Dalton Schultz too much. Without anyone else on this team to really kind of compete with him for that number two role, I'm all in on Dalton Schultz this year. I think the volume is there. We're in on the Dallas Cowboys in terms of what their passing volume is going to be. I love Schultz. For me, he came in number four in our consensus. He's number six. Talk to me about talk to me about Dalton Schultz for the 2022 season. This is my tight end. This is my team. Uh, exactly. This is your guy. This is a, there's a lot of reasons to like Dalton Schultz, and I certainly like Dalton Schultz. He said last year, respect, very respectable, 16.4% target share, and he averaged 12.3 fantasy points per game with that target share on a Cowboys passing offense that actually didn't really throw as much as I think it will because their defense was so mm-hmm. good at forcing turnovers. We know that defensive turnovers are not sticky from year to year, almost certainly going to regress a bit this year. Defense gets even a little bit worse. Dak throws a little more. And all of a sudden, even the same target share earns Schultz more targets. But now here's the kicker. Mari Cooper's gone. Michael Gallup was probably missing the, first, the start of the season. Who knows? It could be two to three games. Could be could be mm-hmm. could start on Pup. Could miss the first six weeks. We've got CeeDee Lamb as the clear wide receiver one. And opposite him is going to be either rookie Jalen Tolbert or journeyman James Washington. Dalton Schultz is very likely to be the second man on the target totem pole on this team. At I mean, Schultz may not be the most athletic guy. He may, he's not going to blow you away with yards after the catch or anything like that. But he has an opportunity for massive volume in one of the best offenses for not in the NFL and for fantasy football. So I'm in on Dalton Schultz. And another guy that I'm in on is the guy who comes in at number seven on our rankings, and that is Dallas Goddard, tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. I've always loved Goddard as the talent from the moment he was drafted. I'm like, this guy's better than Zach Ertz. I can't wait till he starts. Fortunately, it took him like three years. But finally, Ertz is gone. Uh, over the course of his career, Goddard's averaged 11.86 fantasy points per game without Zach Ertz. He is as safe as it gets, I think, in the tight end position. The problem is I'm not sure if he has that super high ceiling this year because uh, of, like, of concerns about the passing volume for the Eagles. And, of course, last year, Goddard was basically their top target after Zach Ertz left. I know that Devonta Smith was the wide receiver one, but he was the rookie. It was Goddard that Jalen Hurts leaned on. Now we've got A.J. Brown in town. And I'm wondering if Goddard is going to be able to maintain the 18.6% target share he saw from last season. What do you think? I think that's going to be the big question on this offense. Um, I think his season is a little bit deceiving for where he finished. Because if you look at what happened last year, in his 14 games with Jalen Hurts, Dallas Goddard averaged 3.6 receptions, 52 yards, and 0.1 touchdowns per game. That's that's eight fantasy points per game and half-point PPR scoring, which equates to roughly what Hunter Henry had last year. But the reason you see Dallas Goddard had the finish that he had was because of the Week 13 game against the Jets with Gardner Minshew at quarterback, where he had six receptions, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. That in one stat line drastically changes the landscape for a tight end where it's so hard to put up a 
triple digit yard a game and get multiple touchdowns. Normally, if you get a single touchdown, I don't care how many yards you've had at that point, you could be a borderline tight end one for the week. So for him to put up that many points in a single outing definitely vaulted up his ranking on the season. I like Dallas Goddard a lot. I think he's I think he's one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL too. Because also last year, he was the only tight end who saw less than 75 targets to still eclipse 700 yards. Also, his 2.33 yards per route run was number one amongst all tight ends. I agree with you. They do have a few more concerns in terms of the passing volume when you add in like A.J. Brown in this offense so you know is going to be involved. We're likely going to see Kenneth Gainwell coming out of the backfield a little bit more and what's going to be always a committee approach. I mean, Miles Sanders said himself, don't draft me in fantasy. He's not going to get that kind of room. That's going to be your Kenneth Gainwell out there. Still have Devonta Smith on this team. And I think one of the sneakier additions just for depth was they brought in Zach Pascal from the Indianapolis Colts. So I liked his addition there too. I'm I'm very much in on Jalen Hurts. I love what he's going to do. I think we go back to more of the passing attack we saw earlier in the year, last year, before that change happened in week eight, week nine, where they all of a sudden they were the run happy team throughout the rest of the season. I think do think we go back to that passing volume. That's why like me both love Jalen Hurts. I know he's my QB5. He's a QB1 for you. That passing volume is going to be there, but Dallas Goddard, I like him, but he's kind of in this middle tier of tight end of the tight end one range where it's like kind of pick who you like, or at this point, just skip this entire group and pick a breakout because all where these guys are going is in some of my favorite rounds to target, whether you're going hero RB. So I'm looking for like my AJ Dillons or I'm going for my wide receivers. Like they're in some of the money rounds of the draft. So you kind of got to make a decision. Like what's your opportunity cost to bring in someone like Dallas Goddard to your team? Does he bring you that much more value considering uh, going against like your number three wide receiver or your number three running back? So I think there's a couple considerations you have to make. Then coming in next one for us is another guy who I think people are kind of unsure what his actual value is. TJ Hawkinson of the Detroit Lions was a tight end 13 last year, but did miss a few games. However, he was also tied with Dalton Schultz for the seventh highest per game average. Uh, this guy who was the tight end five going back in 2020 where he had a ton of volume going around. And I think that's going to be the question is because of how many mouths there are to feed in Detroit. You have Amon Ross St. Brown. Then you bring in DJ Chark. You draft Jamison Williams and you still have arguably the best pass catching running back in the or one of and DeAndre Swift, who actually was tied for the league league in targets per game at six. He works in the area of the field Jared Goff loves to throw. Last year, lowest A dot in the NFL. So Hawkinson will always have value. I think he's a great talent also because he was the part of that draft class where he was going alongside his teammate at um, at Iowa and Noah Fant. It's one of the best draft classes we've seen is what honestly drew so many comparisons to me to last year between Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. They were like the new kind of like slightly upgraded version of Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson. Can he get back to the 101 targets he saw in 2020? Probably not, but can he get back above the 83 range he had last year and get more in towards that 90 where he's kind of crossing that threshold? I think he absolutely can. I just don't think in his likely range of outcomes that tight end four is probably still there like it was in 2020. Give me your thoughts on this guy. You nailed it right at the end there, which is TJ Hawkinson is fine. You will never have to worry about your tight end position if you draft TJ Hawkinson. As long as he is healthy, you can start him. But you're I don't see a top five ceiling there. Uh I just see I see a very high I see a limited range of outcomes. I see him finishing in that 10 to 12 fantasy points per game range. 
And the reality is, I would rather, yeah, I would take that for sure. But where he's going, I can wait like five or six rounds and get one of the guys we're about to talk about later and have a similar type ceiling, or sorry, have a similar type floor with a higher ceiling for cheaper. Uh, There's there's more target competition for Hawkinson than there's ever been in the past. Like you mentioned Swift. We got Amon Ross St. Brown and Savage, the wide receiver one. They signed DJ Chark. They drafted Jamison Williams. And we know Jared Goff is better than he gets credit for in terms of his ability to support multiple pass catchers. Absolutely. But we're asking him now to support possibly five? Five. That's that's a bridge too far for me. Uh, Hawkinson's not going to get uh, vaporized. He's not going to be irrelevant. But I think he's just going to be fine. And at least for me, my, my fantasy strategy, I'm always looking for better than fine. Yeah. And I think we should say we're asking Jared Goff to support five. That is when everyone is back on the field at the same time. Because we're probably going to start the season without Jameson Williams. You know, so I think once we get everyone there, then we'll we'll see how this whole thing kind of shakes out. But at least for right now, he's for sure in a four-person committee with Amon Ra, DJ Chark, and DeAndre So. So we'll see how things play out. I know I'm in on the lines this year. I think they probably end up coming third in their division. Um, but we'll see how they're going. They're still going to be a great team. I don't think the volume will be there enough to support all these tight ends. I like Hawkinson, but he's kind of in a range of tight ends. I'm likely not going to be targeting just because the other people around him. And a lot of these guys are all kind of falling into the same range. We talk about the floor play, but guys with more ceiling. I think that kind of applies here to tight end or to our number nine tight end. I know he's that way. My rank is also itself. And that is Zach Ertz of the Arizona Cardinals. In the 11 games, Ertz averaged 5.1 targets, 52 yards, and almost 0.3 touchdowns. Um, and and 7.4 targets per game after joining the Cardinals. He was a tight end four over that span. And actually, if you look at where he finished all the year, end of the season as the t- as the tight end five in Arizona, playing all 17 games, ends up in total with 112 targets, 763 yards, and five touchdowns. Early in the season, I think we're expecting Zach Ertz to be an incredible asset while they're without DeAndre Hopkins. The question is going to be, how much does Zach Ertz potentially fall off once DeAndre Hopkins comes back onto the field and they have him and you have Marquise Brown. That's something we're not going to know for for right now. We're not going to know until it happens on the field. But I think the ceiling for Zach Ertz would be higher than what you would be getting with Pat Frymouth, although I think the floor is the questionable part. What are your thoughts on Ertz this year? I'm more in on him than not, mainly because his price is significantly lower than where I think it should be. Even though we know we're likely getting a target share drop once Hopkins returns I think he can be just fine as the presumptive number three target in this passing game behind Hopkins and Hollywood Brown before Kyler Murray who is a very capable passer this is an explosive offense there's plenty to go around Kyler Murray can support three fantasy relevant pass catchers if Ertz can open the season and give you that mid mid to high tight end one production that we saw from last year and even if he regresses or falls to just being like a, a lower end tight end one over the second half of the season, that's what you're drafting anyway. So I think that's that's a perfect type of guy because those early weeks, they do matter. I mean, if you can, you can get a leg up over the first six weeks and get one, one or two more wins than you should, that sets you up to make the playoffs. And you never know what can happen in the second half of the season. Injuries happen. Uh, guys break out. You, you I, don't, I don't believe in drafting and looking immediately at like the playoffs and trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to do there. It's, it's a long mm-hmm. season. And, and Ertz can definitely help you over the first half, and I think he'll be useful in the second half as well. Yep, I'm with you. Um, moving on here to tight end number 10 in our ranks of going through the top 12. 
the guy who was the efficiency king of last year, kind of taking over that role from Robert Tanya the year prior, Dawson Knox, tight end of the Buffalo Bills, and he had Bills Mafia jumping through tables. 49 receptions on 71 targets for 587 yards and nine touchdowns. That's the part that led to his breakout. It wasn't the targets. It wasn't receptions. It certainly wasn't the yards. It was the touchdowns. He had had all those touchdowns on just 49 complete on 49 receptions for perspective. That's a touchdown on 18% of his receptions last year. That's not going to likely hold, but it can, if a couple more touchdowns, if a couple more targets come his way, he's kind of in that same range to me as almost like Hunter Henry to where they're both very reliant on their touchdowns, but they both are going to have double digit touchdown upside. But if we're expecting the breakout of Gabriel Davis and to be more of a red zone threat, plus you also brought in Jameson Crowder onto this team to work in the slot. There's a chance, and I think it's probably, it's obviously a non-zero chance, but I think it's probably more than we want to give it credit that Dawson Knox just completely tapers out, especially when they also brought in. You added OJ Howard. I don't think it's going to be a ton of 12 personnel, but there is now someone who is lurking behind Dawson Knox if they want to go for a more bursty style player, not to say Dawson Knox isn't. He's like the 73rd percentile or higher in basically all of his key metrics. But he's a guy who I think could be, he's a risk-reward kind of play. I'm all in on the Bills passing volume, but Knox has got to try to find a way to maintain his already incredibly high efficiency if the targets are going to come his way. Yeah, he had a career-high 13.2% target share last season, and, and that's still... Uh, forced that's him nothing. to have right that's nothing exactly that's nothing and he still required this massive unsustainable efficiency to just be a low-end tight end one averaging 10.9 fantasy points per game uh what happens if he loses a couple touchdowns i don't see his target share increasing given the receiving options they have and another thing that that correlates very highly with tight end targets is running back targets and the bills tried to sign jd mckissick then they signed duke johnson and they drafted james cook it was clear, clear they're looking for a running back that can catch passes. If that even eats into Dawson Knox a little bit, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was already on the absolute fringes of the type of volume that, that can sustain tight end one production. If he loses any of it, uh, like you said, this could be an outright disaster. I know we have Knox at 10. I think it's where we have to rank him based on the offense he's in and what we saw last year and the touchdown upside. But I, I'm not really interested in drafting Dawson Knox as much as I want pieces of this Bills offense. He came in for me at number 11, and quite frankly, I can make a case for him to be all the way down to 15. He's one of those kind of players because there's some guys who I think all have a similar type of breakout upside. He's proven it a little bit with the touchdowns, but it's it's how much do you want to bet on touchdowns carry out from one year to a year when they were already a massive outlier? Yeah. Speaking I, of a guy I, who we hope... Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I'll lead into the next one. I was going to say, I, I wonder if I shouldn't move this next guy ahead of Dawson Knox. Exactly. Yeah. Because and, we were talking about it earlier when we hit the thresholds about guys yeah. who, you know, they need to get 90 targets or double digit touchdowns to be that top five. Well, we saw last year a guy who could hit that threshold, but he needs some of those targets from Dawson Knox. And that is everyone's seemingly favorite breakout tight end this year, Cole Komet of the Chicago Bears. Chicago was a dumpster fire last year. And quite frankly, I don't think that fire has been put out yet. However, you're not going to find a worse pass catching group in the entire NFL than what you have in Chicago. And last year, Cole Komet 
saw a 17.7% target share. He was targeted on nearly 10% of his routes ran. Ends up with 93 targets, 60 receptions, 612 yards, but didn't find an end zone. Last year, 25 tight ends saw at least 50 targets. Komet is the only one who did not score a touchdown. We can go further than that. Cole Komet had 12 red zone targets, which were second most after Cole Beasley of players without a red zone touchdown last year because Cole Beasley actually did score one, but he just didn't come from the, from the red zone. I, the volume is there. The metrics are there to where Cole Komet should regress back to the mean, which is a stupid saying. I hate that saying. It should go back to where our expectation for us, but he hits that 60 target threshold. And I think honestly, he's got a guy, he's got a possibility for triple digit targets this year because outside of Darnell Mooney, who's Justin Fields going to throw the ball to? So I'm all in on Cole Komet. I've got him at, we've got him at 11 here in our rankings. I have him at 10 in my personal rankings. I have a hard time going much higher above like the Zach Ertz kind of range. But if you're looking for the breakout side end, like, to me, I got to look at Cole Komet. If I'm not getting Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews early, I'm waiting until I draft Cole Komet later on. Give me your thoughts on Komet this year. I mean, just having this conversation, I kind of want to move Komet up to, to 10 on my rankings. I've got him at 12. And just he's everything you look for minus being on a good offense. The touchdowns. Yeah. But at the same, yeah. but at the same time, in when it comes to a tight end, and, and especially the back end tight end ones, we're just look. We're chasing volume there. We're chasing volume and touchdown upside. And touchdowns are hard to predict, but the volume for Komet, like you said, I mean, he saw ninety three targets last year, and and the Bears lost Allen Robinson and didn't really replace him. I mean, I know they signed Byron Pringle and they drafted thirty uh, seven year old Bellis Jones, but these guys are not going to equal up to Allen Robinson, even the version we got last year. In they Chicago. also didn't replace Jimmy Graham, who was who was taking the red zone targets away from Cole Komet. Right. So there's all these factors lead to the inexorable conclusion that Cole Komet is going to be second on this team in targets behind Darnell Mooney. And it, it doesn't matter how bad the Bears are. If Justin Fields is throwing the ball over 500 times, uh, volume, he's got to throw it to somebody. And, yeah, and if they're bad, he's, he might push 600 just because they have no choice. If, if that happens, I mean, even if Komet, only, even if Komet continues to score at a, at a subpar rate in terms of expected touchdowns, we could see him just volume his way to back end tight end one numbers. And that's kind of that's kind of where I see his floor. So we're drafting him at his floor. And that is exactly what you want in, in pretty much any pick in fantasy. You love to draft guys at their floor when they actually have much higher ceilings. Exactly. It was kind of like drafting uh, Mark Andrews back in like 2019. The same thing with Lamar Jackson. You got them at their floor and then they just all of a sudden shot up. Um, and that's what we're hoping the next guy does. who came in at number 12 for us. Albert Okawebanam, the tight end of the Denver Broncos. It's kind of hard not to get excited about Albert O. He's six foot six, runs a sub four five forty, and now he's getting a chance to finally be the guy after Noah Fan was sent to Seattle as part of the trade, which brought Russell Wilson to the Mile High City. The only thing is, we just don't have a ton of volume to go off of. However, like it improved last year, like he actually was on the field a little bit, thirty three receptions, three hundred and thirty yards, and two touchdowns, while posing the fifth highest yards per route ran at his position. I think he's going to be solid, assuming he wins the battle for the starting job. Because reports now coming out of Denver, especially from Mike Kliss of Nine News over there, a beat reporter covering the Denver Broncos. And this has actually been talked about quite some time since they made the draft pick when they brought in Greg Dolchich, is that Dolchich will be fighting Albert O for the number one spot. Now, you play fantasy football long enough, you know rookie tight ends are always a bit of a, a crapshoot. However, this situation is just a little bit different because 
we're looking at a brand new offense now with Nathaniel Hackett running it. And then we don't have necessarily a true incumbent for the number one. They're both fighting for a position they've never had, which is the number one spot on an NFL roster. We'll see who wins. I know Daniel Jeremiah going back to the NFL, going back to the, uh, the draft, he was his number one ranked target actually over top of Trey McBride. Um, Dolch came in number two for me. So I think we'll be interested to see how this kind of battle plays out. But if you're betting on someone who's kind of been in the NFL for, been in the NFL for a little bit longer, already has the explosiveness on his side. Alberto is a breakout coming in at tight end 12 for us. I think it makes a ton of sense. Give me your thoughts on Alberto for this year. I mean, you can look at it one of two ways. When the Broncos decided to include Noah Fan in their trade for Russell Wilson, they didn't know they were getting Greg Dolchich. They were doing the same, that because they felt secure in Alberto. That, that that's yes, that's how I choose to look at it. Of course, somebody else could say, "Yeah, but then they went and drafted Greg Dolchich." They did. They took him in the third round, and Fan and was I, also like, entering the last year of his rookie contract too. Right. So, so there's a very, very real chance he was gone anyway, and they were yeah. planning to go forward with Albert O as their starting tight end. I'm inclined to believe that Albert O is going to win this job because tight end is notoriously difficult to learn in general, let alone as a rookie. And we have literally never in the history of fantasy football seen a fantasy relevant rookie third round tight end. It's never happened. Uh, and I understand that all Joe would have to do is just be like a thorn in Albert O's side to take away Albert O's fantasy relevance. That's more of the concern rather than Dolch just being relevant himself. But ultimately, I mean, we saw Albert O have five targets in one game last year, just once. And that game, he caught all five of them for 41 yards and a touchdown. And that was his best game of the season. And that's... that's I think that was with, against the Detroit Lions, wasn't it? And it's correct. It was in week 14. And that was, again, I mean, I don't remember whether it was Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke starting, but it was with one of those. Russell Wilson, a mm-hmm. little bit of an upgrade. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm confident that Russell Wilson can do enough to keep Albert O's value afloat as at least a high-end tight end too. And given where he's being drafted, I think that that's, that's all, you, all, you need, all you need from him. You take the shot. If it doesn't work out, then you replace him. And there's there's really no risk in drafting Albert O. And, that's, and that, I think that's the biggest part to take out of this whole thing. Once you get past, I think, like the Schultz-Kittle range, at that point, we have a ton of guys who are kind of in that low-end tight end one kind of category. And that goes even further past who we've talked about. If you want to talk about some other late round guys, we haven't even mentioned Pat Fryermuth, who just missed out on just based off the way the scoring came out for this when we kind of combined our rankings. Pat Fryermuth is in this range. Irv Smith Jr., David Njoku, um, look down toward whoever wins the Tampa Bay battle. You've got Daniel Bellinger out there in for the New York Giants. He doesn't need to be out rookie Zeals Jones. Um, I know that one for me. Um, Dan Arnold down in Jacksonville. I think there's tons of options, however you want to play this out. If you want to go early tight end, go for it. If you want to wait until as late as possible, there's 10 different guys who could say low-end tight end one upside, high-end tight end two upside. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like Tight end is not shallow. That's not the case. Tight end's deep. It's just shallow at the very top. I think that's the biggest takeaway for fantasy football managers this year is got to figure out what you want to do at tight end as always but that's going to wrap up for today's episode of the premier fantasy football podcast powered by pro football network if you enjoy today's show please feel free to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform it is greatly appreciated and does help the show grow by getting the word out about what we're what's being talked about on these shows getting to push out on people's feeds also continue to stay up to date with the latest news around the league by heading over to profootballnog.com 
where you can find analysis covering not only fantasy football, but breaking news around the league, college football, betting, and the NFL draft. And with training camps coming up, PFN will be sending guys around the country to cover training camps in their own individual respective areas. So keep a lookout for that coming up. And also, if you want to get started on the 2023 mock draft cycle, head on over to PFN, uh, sorry, to ProFootballNetwork.com forward slash mock draft and start getting those drafts running. So you guys want to take first overall, who's going in second, who's the steals of the draft, take the screenshots, send them our way. You can follow Jason over on Twitter at JasonCats13 and myself, Tommy Garrett, PFN, over on The Bird. Speaking for Jason, I am Tommy, and we will see you guys next week for another episode of the show.